You are listening to a podcast from Influence Church. We hope it encourages and empowers you to make a difference in your world for the kingdom of God. For any more information, visit our website, influencechurch.co.uk. Enjoy the message. Hello, everyone. Oh, gosh, it's loud. (laughs) Are we all doing okay today? Um, Nice to see all of you. I haven't been here for a while. Um, For those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Amy and I am typically in Penrith um, with my husband Dan. Um, We help run the youth ministry there um, and I get the privilege of being the worship pastor um, across our five locations and um, it's honestly the best job ever, like in the whole world. Um, I think I have the best job in the church. Um, So yeah, um, I'm super happy to be here. But I'm going to talk to you guys today. Um, I'm hoping to talk to you about being available. I'm I'm just going to do a quick disclaimer. Um, I am asthmatic. Um, I am coughing quite a bit this morning. I'm not sick. You're not going to get ill. Um, But if I do cough, just give give me a minute just to have some water. Um, But today I'm going to talk to you guys um, about being available. That is what I feel like God's put on my heart. So I just wanted to really start by kind of thinking, what, what do you guys think of when you think of being available? Um, and the first thing that I thought of was uh, when someone calls you and you have to decide whether you're available or unavailable, don't you? You have to accept or decline, right? Um, and uh, I, I don't know about you, but there are some people that I am more willing to make myself available for than others. So I don't know if there's that call that you get that you guys see and you think, oh, I'm just not sure if I'm going to pick that up right now. For me... It is my grandma. So if my grandma calls me... Now, I, when I was thinking about this, I was thinking like, oh no, what if she listens to the podcast? But she's like the only person in my family that's saved, so like I don't need to send it to her. Um, but um, she, she is 87. She is amazing. Um, but her day largely consists of waking up, and then she'll sit in her chair, and then she'll call each of her six siblings um, in accordance with their time zones so that she's calling them at a convenient time. And then she'll move on to her children, her five children, and then she'll typically move on to her grandchildren. So if she tries to call me and I don't pick up, I don't feel so bad because I know that she'll move on to grandchild number two. Um, but, um, the other thing is that she hasn't, I don't know if you guys have anybody like this. She calls me on FaceTime, but she hasn't quite grasped where the camera is. Has anybody else got that? So I think there's a picture of like her contact card, Joseph, if you want to pull it up. Now, this is actually a good shot because she's like largely in shot. But when I talk to her on FaceTime, it's typically her forehead or her hair rollers. That's all I get. So I'm not particularly inclined to pick up. Um, but I guess uh, what, you're, what I'm saying is that sometimes, you know, we get a choice to make ourselves available or unavailable to people um, when they call us. And, and it's the same when God calls us, right? We get a choice um, of whether we say that, yes, God, I'm here, I'm available, or whether we don't. Um, so I thought when we were thinking about this, it might be nice just to have a nice definition to start. It gives us something to ground ourselves in. And as I was looking this up, um, the main things that came up were, so definitions of available, we've got able to be obtained, used, or reached, able to be bought or used, able to allocate time to something. So these were kind of the common everyday understandings of being available. And we are going to be talking about this in the context of our walk with God. And what I wanted to do was to look at two people in the Bible, and I guess three because we're going to look at Jesus as well at the end. But what I was going to look at is David and Saul. So they are both kings over Israel at certain points um, in the Old Testament. And I wanted to compare and contrast really how 
David, who's largely like very available for God, responds in certain situations compared to Saul, who does start out pretty available, but then things deteriorate and he's largely unavailable to God for the majority of his reign. Um, does that sound okay? Yeah. Okay, great. So before we start, I was just going to really quickly summarize 1 and 2 Samuel, because that's where most of our scripture is going to come from today. So it might just be nice for us to have the context. So I'm going to read this so that I get it all right, so that you guys have the correct context. So summary is, so Israel foolishly asked for a king like all the other nations, despite having the God of the universe on their side. Um, God uses a prophet called Samuel to speak to and anoint this king and he anoints a man called Saul. Now Saul had the opportunity to please God, yet things swiftly go wrong, and he ultimately disobeys him and is rejected by God. So instead, God raises up a king in a shepherd boy called David. He's anointed, just as Saul was. And prior to being king, David serves under Saul as his own personal worship leader, armor bearer, one of his soldiers. Yet Saul begins to resent David's success, and Saul turns against him, things escalate, Saul tries to kill David in a jealous rage, and eventually Saul takes his own life. That is only one Samuel. So in 2 Samuel, David becomes king, and God makes a covenant with him that the Messiah, the Savior of the world, is going to come from his family line. Now David, like Saul, isn't perfect, and he commits adultery with a married woman. He then kills her husband to cover it up and takes her to be his wife. God is grieved. There are grave consequences for David's family. But David is repentant, asks God to cleanse him of his wicked ways. God is pleased with such genuine repentance, blesses him going forward. And the book ends with David pouring out his heart in sacrificial worship to God, reflecting on his life, the faithfulness of God, and reminding himself of the promises of God that the Messiah will come from his family line. So, those are the summaries. Just going to let you guys sit with that. It's quite a lot to take in. Um, but I think... From reading those two things, we can fall into the trap of thinking David is fantastic and Saul sucks. Um, and I think before we start, something that's really important to say is I don't want us to demonize Saul to the point where we kind of close ourselves off to the concept that we could ever be like him or mess up like him. Because I think when we do that, we risk considering ourselves better than him. And then we, whilst we don't want to be like Saul, it's worth considering that at times we might act like him and we really want to learn from his mistakes, don't we? So... Let's make sure we're not doing that today. So the first thing I want to talk about is being available for God's glory. So I hope that we could start by both looking at how Saul and David respond to situations where God is directing their steps and they get a choice to either glorify God or glorify themselves. So we're going to pick up in 1 Samuel 13 verse 5. So in this scripture, Saul is king and he is assembling an army of Philistines, um, sorry, an army of Israelites to attack the Philistines um, and the Israelites are really under threat. And we read from verse five. The Philistines assembled to fight Israel with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers and soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. They went up and camped at Michmash, east of Beth-Avon. When the Israelites saw that their situation was critical and that their army was hard pressed, they hid in caves and thickets among the rocks and in the pits and cisterns. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul remained at Gilgal, and all the troops with him were quaking with fear. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel, but Samuel didn't come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. So he said, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings, and Saul offered up the burnt offering. Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived, and Saul went out to greet him. What have you done, asked Samuel. 
Saul replied, when I saw that the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. You have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You've not kept the command of the Lord your God. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and he is referring to David there, and appointed him the ruler of his people because you've not kept the Lord's command. So one of the first things I think that really stood out to me here when I'm thinking about being available for God is pride. You know, it really looks like pride is what's got in the way here of Saul following God's commands. And ultimately, Saul had this opportunity to be a vessel for God's glory in this circumstance. But things go wrong, I think. When we read in that scripture, it says Saul saw that the people were scattered from him. And I think what we see is is Saul seeing his following diminish, and then he panics, and then he disobeys God, and he does everything he can to to get the people to um, fall back into favor with him. Um, and I think it's just really obvious here, isn't it, that the pull of man's favor is greater than the pull of God's favor for Saul. Um, and, and here we see, I think, that he'd rather be in high esteem with the people for doing something in a time of crisis as opposed to being known for the one who waited and was obedient to God because he was asked to wait those, those seven days, wasn't he? And he, and he didn't. Um, and ultimately, I think if we're honest, his desire to glorify himself and to look good was greater than his desire to be obedient and glorify God. And I think it's really worth noting here just to grasp the kind of gravity of what he's done when he decided to start sacrificing a burnt offering before God um, in order to kind of gain his favor. He said, I haven't sought the Lord's favor, is that at this time, you know, it was only priests that could do that. So essentially, he's, he's, you know, he's, he's taking God's commands as negotiable because he's really not grasping how holy God is and how, um, yeah, just how much of a big deal his commands are. Um, he thinks he's above them, perhaps, or that he can bend them. And that's pride, really, isn't it? And it's got in the way of him being able to glorify God. And I think when we think about being available, what we can see here is there's kind of an inverse relationship. Now, who's doing like their GCSEs and A-levels right now? And they're like, I know what an inverse relationship is. Um, we've got a few, a few hands over there. Um, but essentially what it means as, is that as one variable goes up, the other goes down. So what I think we see here is that as Saul's desire to please man goes up, his availability to God goes down, doesn't it? And I think... A desire to please God will make us more available to him. Um, but a desire to please man is going to make us decreasingly available to him. And I don't think he was seeking to know God. I think he was seeking to get known by using God's power to his advantage, wasn't he? And, and that displeased God. Um, and we see that because Samuel really rebukes him, doesn't he? But but I think when we look in contrast to what David does when he's got situations where he, he needs God's power, this is when it really comes to light, okay, this, this is what God wants from us. So we, we see in a story that you guys are probably really familiar with, story of David and Goliath, we see that um, David is sent while Saul reigns to um, check on his brothers on the front line in battle. And David sees this situation unfold where a Philistine um, giant is dishonoring God's name. And with a righteous anger, he kind of seeks, David seeks to defend God and he, and he kind of goes in all guns blazing and he says, you know, I, I want to fight this Philistine because he's kind of pulling God's name into disrepute and I'm not okay with that. 
Um, and eventually, David's so unrelenting, he gets to speak to Saul, the king, about it, and he explains how God has qualified him to fight Goliath. So we pick this up in 1 Samuel 17, verse 33. It should come up on the screen at some point. Um, and it says, so this is Saul speaking to David. You are not able to go out against the Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it and struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it and killed it. Because your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. And it's just so different, isn't it, to how, to how Saul navigates a situation where, where he knows he needs power. Um, because if we think about pride again, you know, David here, in terms of his availability to giving God glory, he offers God's faithfulness and God's deliverance as the reason that he can do this. He essentially says, I'm able because God is able. Not, not, it's nothing to do with him. Um, and I think what's also really key is that he only offers this information about all of the wild animals that he's slain at a point when it's really important, when actually that's the information that's going to get him to be able to glorify God. You know, And I think he, he could have walked around telling everyone about that. And I think that there are probably some of us that would be inclined to if you'd done something that impressive. Um, but actually, he was very aware that it was nothing to do with him and everything to do with God. Um, so... In the end, David, plot twist, um, and you guys probably already know this, but if you don't, I'm sorry. Um, David kills the Philistine with a sling and a stone, um, and he declines using any weapons or armor because he's just so set on, on this being a circumstance where God is glorified because it's only his strength and his deliverance alone that's prospered them. So I think we see here that David's heart was really set on glorifying God, wasn't it? And that's a really key part of being available. I think we have to ask ourselves that, that difficult question. You know, am, am I willing to put my neck on the line for Jesus because his name matters, because he's worthy? Um, and I just wanted to um, kind of ask us some, some questions off the back of that. So, so what does it mean for us? Well, I think one of the things is, you know, how are we packaging the victories that we experience? You know, are we packaging them as our victories um, or are we packaging them as, you know, deliverance from God, by God, for his glory? Um, and I think the other thing is, you know, are we willing to fight for God, for his causes, um, and to defend his name as well? Are we, are we willing to do that? So the kind of second point that I wanted to, to talk about was our availability in the assignments that God gives us. So assignments, callings, these are the kind of, kind of things that we hear about when we're kind of in church, isn't it? And one thing I, I wanted to think about was, you know, are we available to the assignments and callings of God um, when they perhaps don't feel easy or they aren't glamorous or if, yeah, if they're just not things that perhaps we'd thought, this is what I will be doing for the kingdom. So we read a story in 1 Samuel 16. This is, be this is before... Um, David, this is when David is anointed to be king, essentially. And um, so prior to being king, Samuel goes to visit the sons of Jesse, and he anoints the future king. He anoints David. And we read here, Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. 
So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? Jesse said, they're still the youngest. He's tending the sheep. So I think when we think about being available in all of the assignments that we have, you know, Jesse thought so little of David. Not only had he not invited him to the sacrificial meal that they were having with all of his siblings, but he also didn't even mention him by name at this moment. And there might be some of you here that think there's absolutely no point in me being more available to God because nobody knows who I am. People in church don't know who I am or people in my workplace don't know who I am. And um, there's no way I could even do anything particularly meaningful. Um, but what's really clear here is that Samuel, the prophet, he goes and he says, no, no, God has called David and clearly God has seen David and God has chosen David. And if God wants to get you somewhere in order to use you for his kingdom, he can do it. It's not, there's no barrier if certain people don't know you. And so what also I think is important, however, is that, yeah, God can, can get us places. Um, it's not a barrier for him, but we do know that David was chosen for the heart that he had. Um, we read that he was a man after God's own heart, and that was said prior to him being king. So that must have been something that had been developed when he was a shepherd. So we read that his dad said he's, he's tending to the sheep. So how do we know this? How do we know that David had a heart that was after God, and what does this look like? And so you guys are probably familiar with Psalm 23. It's one of the most famous Psalms in the Bible. And this was written by David. And he writes things like, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He um, lies me down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. You know, my cup is overflowing. Um, surely the Lord will follow me all the days of my life. Um, and we just see here that he has this real revelation of the intimacy, um, of the value of that intimacy that he has with God. And there are other Psalms where we read about David He's really grasped the glory of creation. Um, and what we can kind of deduce from these things is that David has really grasped who God is in that time that he spent being a shepherd, probably like largely alone apart from sheep. Um, and he's grasped something of God's glory in that time. And he's really cultivated a heart where he loves him. And I think the question that really raised for me is if we want to be available to God, are we actually creating space in our lives kind of free of distraction like David will have done um, to meet with God and to build that intimacy and that strength of character so that if he does call us into something different, into something more, that we actually have the, the faith in him and the strength of character to say yes. Yeah. So I think another kind of hard question that comes out of this was, if we're honest, do we feel frustrated when we are the shepherd and we aren't the king? Because I get the sense, reading these psalms that David had written, and if you haven't read the psalms, I'd encourage you to read them. David really pours out his heart in these, and you, you understand that he just has such an intimate relationship with God. But I get the sense that it really wouldn't have mattered to David at all if he had been a shepherd for the rest of his life or if he had been a, a king or not. Because, you know, David didn't know he was going to be anointed to be king, yet he'd still cultivated that heart with God. It wasn't, I'm going to pursue God so that I can be king. It was, I'm going to pursue God because God is worthy, and, and he wants my heart, and I want to know him. So I think the question that that really raises is, you know, are we equally as available in the private not so glamorous assignments, whether that's being a shepherd or whatever that might look behind the scenes, as we are when God says, hi, will you, will you be a king? You know, will you do something big for me? Because they're both a big deal because they both involve us loving God and God wants our hearts. 
So, one kind of final thing I wanted to say on this was that after David was anointed, after Samuel said, you know, I want you to bring that youngest child you have in from the sheepfold because I want to anoint him. I want to make, I, he's going to be the future king. David actually returned to the sheep. And I think, um, you know, perhaps if we'd read in the Bible and then he kind of walked off to the palace, we would have thought like, oh, how faithful, you know, he knows that he's going to be king. And so he's gone, he's gone to do what God's told him. But actually, um, what we see is that David wanted to be absolutely sure that he wasn't prospering himself. It was God who was doing it. And so what he did was that he returned to be faithful to the thing that God had placed in front of him, that he knew God had placed in front of him. And I think that shows that when we're talking about being available to God, you know, are we available to what he has assigned us in the season that we're in? And are we prepared to be faithful to what he's placed in front of us? I think sometimes we can think, oh, I don't know what I'm called to, or I don't know what I'm assigned to. But I think a question that we can kind of ask ourselves after reading this is, okay, what's God put in front of me? What do I know that he's asked me to do? You know, do, what job has he given me? What people are in my community that he's called me to love? Um, what children do I have that he's called me to parent? You know, all of these things. Um, and we can be faithful in those things to God. And, and God will open doors if he wants to take us elsewhere. And soon enough, God does do that. And, and David ends up being Saul's worship leader and it kind of becomes his path into the palace. So we can trust God with that. So the kind of third thing that I really want to talk about is are we available to God in our failures? So how available are we in times of failure? Now, what I'm really wary of doing is painting David out to be a saint um, without fault. So I think it would probably good, be good for us to look at one of David's key failures that we're probably all familiar with, which was when he slept with Bathsheba, who was a married woman. Now, for those with you who are unfamiliar with the story, David sends his troops to battle. So this is when he's king. He sends his troops to battle. He stays behind. He's alone in the city. And we pick this up in 2 Samuel 11, verse 2. Now, at evening time, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful in appearance. So David sent the servants and inquired about the woman. And it goes on to say in the scripture, I'm not going to read it all, I'm just going to summarize it for us, but it goes on to say that he slept with her, and she basically reports back to him and says, I'm pregnant, which is problematic on many levels. Um, so <laughs> a long story short, David makes a mess even messier. Um, he tries to get her husband to come back from battle and sleep with her. He refuses because he actually seems like a great man of integrity. He says, well, no, all of my fellow soldiers are out on the battlefield. How could I possibly come home, sleep with my wife, have a lovely time? You know, that's so disrespectful to them. I'm going to sleep on the, on the doorstep. Um, and then he goes back so they don't sleep together. So he can't cover up the fact that she's pregnant with that. So instead, he does the only logical thing. He decides to kill him. So... It gets, it, he, he doesn't make some good decisions here. Um, but essentially what we see is that it starts a ter terrible chain of, of events for David. Um, it involves the death of the son that he's conceived with Bathsheba. Um, but what I really want to focus on here is how David repents. Because he, he really realizes that he's messed up. And we read in Psalm, so I mentioned earlier that the Psalms, a lot of them are written by David. And one of the Psalms that um, is thought to be written kind of immediately after this, when, when he realizes that he's messed up, is Psalm 51. And I'm just going to read a little chunk from it. We don't need a lot from it to grasp how repentant he is. 
But um, verses two to four say, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. And he goes on to be incredibly repentant for many more verses. And it's clear from this psalm that David really grasps that he's grieved the heart of God and that he doesn't deserve God's mercy, but also that God is able and willing to forgive him and to redeem him. And I think the the quality of this uh, kind of heartfelt repentance is really brought to light when we look, lastly, kind of one of the last scriptures we're going to look at today, it's, it's when we look at Saul's unrepentance. So there's a time we read at the very beginning about kind of Saul's perils of pride and his battle with the Philistines and how he kind of starts taking things into his own hands and he starts burning things and trying to gain the Lord's favor. And unfortunately, he doesn't learn from that. And there are kind of many more circumstances where he's messed up that we read about. But there's one in particular that I wanted to focus on to look at kind of what unrepentance looks like. Um, And it's in 1 Samuel 15. And essentially, I'll summarize kind of the story for us. I don't want to overwhelm you guys with scripture today. But essentially what happens is the Lord asks Saul, as king, he asks him to advance in battle against the Amalekites. Because when God's people were delivered in the exodus with Moses from Egypt, the Amalekites held them up. And God says, go and attack the Amalekites, totally destroy all that belongs to them. Don't spare them. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camel and donkeys. And essentially what happens is that Saul doesn't do it. He goes to attack them. He destroys them. But what he does do is he he spares the king, Agag, the best of the sheep and the cattle, the fat calves, the lambs, everything that was good. And it says in the word that they were that he was unwilling to destroy completely what he'd been asked to destroy completely. And Samuel rebukes him, the prophet rebukes him and says, you know, what have you done yet again? Um, And Saul's response, he just doesn't get it. He thinks, he says, but I did obey the Lord. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. And and he says, you know, I I took the soldiers and the sheep and the cattle, the best of the things, because I wanted to sacrifice them to your God. It's not even his God, it's your God. Um, and he's kind of seeing this as very transactional. Um, and what Samuel says always kind of really hits, hits me, like the Holy Spirit really pulls this out for me. It says, Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. And I think the key difference here when we think about are we available in our failures between David and Saul is that David gets that God wanted his heart and not his stuff. And actually, Saul didn't get that. God wanted his heart. And he's just continually offering stuff in the hope that it will gain him favor. It will gain him blessing. And he doesn't realize that actually God just wants to know him. And so when I was kind of looking at different commentaries around this, there was one thing that really stood out to me that I think we can really take away from this. And it was um, a quote from McLaren. I think we've got it up here. And it said, partial obedience is still complete disobedience. And I think that really hit home for me because I think sometimes when we're doing something that we know we shouldn't be doing or we're closing off a part of our life to God, we're not being available in it. We can think on all the good things we're doing for God and we can somehow maybe justify it. But Saul was meant to be a vessel in this situation to communicate to the Amalekites that God is a God of justice and that if they're going to stand in the way of God's ways, God's not going to tolerate that. 
And what he does instead is that he comes back pleased with himself after kind of taking the best of the things that the Amalekites had, after kind of taking their king prisoner. And, and what that does is that communicates there's something joyful about disobeying God, about standing in the way of God's plans. And we know that the sin of humanity grieves God and that actually Saul's totally missed the point here when God said, kill everything. And I think something we have to be really honest with ourselves about is that when we partially obey God's commands, then we communicate, well, we make ourselves partially available first, but then we risk communicating only part of his heart and part of his ways and part of his gospel. And I think we can be so guilty of doing Jesus with a sprinkle of the world, can't we? We can be so guilty of that. Um, and, and we can communicate compromise. And to those who don't know God, I think what we communicate is that God is not worth being entirely obedient to and entirely set apart for. And that's not true, is it? So I think that's a big deal. Band, you can come to the stage now if you want. So now... I think the main thing that we wanted to pull out here is that Saul was unrepentant, didn't we? So when, we, when Samuel rebukes Saul, he says to him, you know, you've messed up. And, and Saul's response is, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's commands and your instructions. I was afraid of the men, so I gave in to them. Now I beg you, Samuel, forgive my sin and come back. Um, and come back with me so I may worship the Lord. And I think what we're kind of seeing here in this last bit of, of kind of how do we be available in our failures is that Saul asks Samuel to pardon this sin, doesn't he? He says, you know, Samuel, like, forgive me so that we can crack on with what we're doing here. And, and he's not prepared to recognize like David was that there's a big heart issue that needs, that, that needs to be addressed when we sin and that that's between us and God, not between Saul and Samuel or us and anyone else really. Um, and and when we're thinking about being available in our failures, it's, it's going to take some probably, gen, it's going to take genuine repentance, but it's going to take repeated repentance. You know, we're going to mess up more than once in our walks with God. And that might sound discouraging, but I think what I really want to remind us of is that the Bible reads, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And, and that's referring to Jesus and his grace and his power. Because church, if we commit to this, then we're going to spend our entire lives trying to be increasingly available to God. And it's a continual process. It's going to be us outpouring our hearts to God, asking for him to know us, asking for us to, asking for him to help us submit, asking for him to help us because we've messed up again. And it's going to be over and over and over. And the only way that's not going to be exhausting is if we do it in God's strength. And you know, the reason that we know that it's a dynamic process, this being available to God, it's not a kind of one time I chose to be available on that day in Richmond and from there forth I was the most available Christian. It's, we know it's a dynamic process because we see that Saul was available once. At the beginning of his reign, we read that he would prophesy, that the spirit of the Lord was upon him, that when he'd win battles, he'd sacrifice, but it would be worship, it would be to God, it wouldn't be about him. Um, we even read when he was first anointed by Samuel the prophet that he said, me, you know, me, I, but I'm from the Benjamite tribe, and that's a really small tribe, and, and he was humble. And And we've spoken today about where things went wrong, but None of us are exempt from 
messing up like that and for actually deviating in our availability to God. And, and we had to continually choose day by day, I'm going to be available to God. I'm going to choose to be available today. And if we mess up, we have the grace of God and we have an avenue through Christ to be able to come back to him and to draw close again. And, and perhaps you're thinking, you know, why would I even engage in trying to be more available to God? Like, what's the point? And it's because he's worth it. You know, David was great, but the only reason that we hear about David is because he was there to point to Jesus, to the one who was the greatest. And, you know, Jesus was the most available for us. And Jesus is the only one who modeled complete availability. You know, he literally died for God and for us on the cross. He spent his entire life glorifying God, carrying out the assignments of God, obeying the commands of God, teaching people of God's goodness, healing people for God and for his kingdom. And ultimately, he repented on the cross for sins that weren't his because he was so available in his purity that he said, I'll, I'll take those on for you and I'll defeat them and I'll rise from the grave. And, you know, we have a God who is willing to sacrifice his entire life for us so that he might always be accessible to us, so he might always be available to us, you know, on earth and in heaven for us. And at the start of this preach, I spoke about one of the definitions of availability as being able to be bought or purchased. And, and we read in the Bible that in 1 Peter, it says, you were bought with the precious blood of Christ, and he was a pure and perfect sacrificial lamb. And he is and was and always will be the reason that we should strive to be available. And he was and is and always will be entirely and totally available to us through what he did on the cross. And committing to living to him, for him, and being available for him, that is what the Bible calls our reasonable sacrifice in the light of his mercy. So the band are going to lead us in response in a minute. And I just wanted to encourage you guys that I feel like it might be helpful if we all stand at this point, just because I'm going to kind of ask for a response from some of us. And I think sometimes it can help to feel like we've got people standing around us. But if you feel like God's been speaking to you today about any of these things that we've been speaking about, being available for his glory, being available in the assignments he's called us to, being available in our mess ups, then I just want to encourage you guys that I think we're going to like open up the, the altar kind of space here. And I just want to encourage if anybody here feels like God is speaking to them about being more available and they're thinking, yes, I want to be more available for God, then I just want to encourage you just to kind of take a step forward and come down to the front here. Um, I'm thinking we've got ministry team around who can support with that, who people can pray for you, people can talk to you about it. But I know that there's so many people in this room that that probably fills with dread. But being available to God is, is probably going to be harder than taking a step towards the altar today. So why don't we start being bold today and go with that. that. Let's have that as our first step. Let's encourage each other. Let's support each other. You know, if you want someone to come down with you, talk to the person next to you. Um, but the band is just going to lead us now. Um, and I'm just going to pray just to finish. And if you feel like, like you want to come down to the front, then please, please do. Um, let's use this to kind of mark the start of some heart work with God. Yeah, God, we just thank you for your son, God. 
we thank you that you made yourself entirely and totally available to us and that we get to live this life walking with you. And God, we just pray that you would just strengthen us today. Help show us areas by your Holy Spirit in our lives where we need to be more available to you. And your word talks about us living life and life to the full. And we believe that a full life is a life where we are entirely and totally available to you and your plans and your purposes, God. Yeah, God, we just pray that you would increase and we would decrease in this moment, God. That we would make more room for you in our hearts. And I just pray that you would just be speaking to people in this room, God, that really need to come down and take a step forward, a tangible step forward and say, yeah, I want to be more available for you. Yeah, Jesus, we praise you. We love you. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Influence Church. For any more information, visit our website, influencechurch.co.uk. Influence Church, empowering you to make a difference in your world for the kingdom of God.